Well, folks, welcome to One More Edition of Politics and Right. I'm Igberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. I'm a bit late, about a minute or so late, because I was trying like hell to finish a speech by Warnock, the, 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 the senator from Georgia. As you know, once again, it has occurred. Once again, it has occurred. What has occurred? We had another mass shooting. When does it stop? Right? And of course, we have a party that wants to do nothing about it. And there was something prescient that was said by one of the pundits um, on, 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 that I was just watching. And he said, you know, everybody is asking the policemen right now to get rid of all that gear. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. For killing that gear, I mean, all, all that military-looking gear. And he said, look, I un- he understands what's going on out there. But the next question is, what about all those folks that are hanging out, regular folks hanging out with AR-15s? How do we defend ourselves against the AR-15s? How does the police defend itself against the AR-15s, the AK-47s, and all these others? You want a demilitarized police, but you have a militarized population. Think about that. You want a demilitarized police, but you have a militarized population. But unfortunately, the police too often use that military gear not against the militarized population, but against those who shouldn't. But anyway, welcome aboard, Bridge MCP. How are you doing, my dear beautiful lady? Yvette Avery Heron, la preciosa mujer de Atlanta, the, the beautiful princess of Atlanta. We also have Lee Grant in the house. And Lee Grant, you're handsome too, but you know what? I prefer, well, okay, Lee Grant, you're handsome as well, sir. Michael Rudman is in the house. We also have, uh, para ver, Paul Fleming Sr., also from Atlanta, Georgia. Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain. And as well in the house, if I miss you, forgive me, E2247. Brother, E2247. Welcome aboard Politics and Right. We're going to have a great show for you today. Anyhow, how is it? Michael says, I've had a bit, a busy week, all sorts of tired today, listening in for a while. Well, thank you for being here, sir. We love having you here, whether you're providing info, just listening or what, or just being here. I just love the presence of all our posse here uh, for what we're, what we're doing here. Anyhow, folks, anyway, we got a great show for you today. Vamos a tener un perfect, un programa bien perfecto esta tarde. I want to start, however, let's see, mass shootings are more than daily occurrence. Even Fox recognizes it. If Fox recognizes the daily killings, my God. And what I like is the polls. That, and let me put what Rudnin just put on the screen because I think this is important. This is very important. These are, I mean, these are like super, 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 super duper majorities. Background checks. 87% of people want it. Enforce existing gun laws. 81% of people want it. 
Legal age, 21 to buy all guns. 81% of people want that. Require mental health checks. 80% of people want that. Flag people to uh, flag people danger to self. 80% of people want that. Require 30-day waiting period. 80% of people want that. They do. Yvette Avery Herod says, we currently have a situation here in Atlanta. Active shooter shot five, killed one on the loose currently. Yeah, I, I, I have Warnock uh, Yvette that I'm going to be playing his uh, piece in a little bit. Let me just check if I have. Let's see. Brief says, the Gun Violence Archive, a nonprofit defines a mass shooting as any shooting with a minimum of four victims shot, either injured or killed, not including any shooter. On Wednesday, the, Q, the QVA said there were 189 mass shootings in the U.S. this year, more than there are days that have already passed in the year. Deb Denny is in the house. She says, Bridge MCP, is it four shot or four kill? It's, it is five shot, one killed. Uh, let's see. Uh, Lee Grant says, Avery Herod, the shooter is black. Please tell me why does that matter in this particular case, Brother Lee Grant? Uh, you, you seem right now to be suffering from something that black folks usually say, like, when a shooting occurs, it's like, please don't let it be the narrative-driven black guy, which generally, again, in these mass shootings, it generally isn't, right? Now, uh, so, so, so first of all, let, let's get that clear. Carl Cox is another hero uh, for the guns lobby. Uh, and uh, Lee Grant, I'm aware, according to Avery Herod, yes, these shootings are starting to blend into each other. But he says, why does it matter? Black immigrant, it usually 99% white male. It's amazing, right? Uh, that, that, and, and, you know, I think, look, there are two people that do things like that in this in this room, and I I want you to ask yourself why is it that you kind of point that out, Mike Cisak and brother Lee Grant. Think about it, Lee. Why did we need to know that specifically? Please tell me. Uh, let's see. Deb Denny says, "Better to Willis, please get back to the top and see my first comment." I'll look for you, Deb Denny. Let's go to the top and see if it made it over. Deb Denny says she had a comment at the top. And Deb, 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 Denny. Uh, let's see. Bridge MCP is four shot. Uh, I want to find it because I don't like missing comments. So I'm going to go find your comment if it's here. But it's a possibility that it just isn't here, Deb, Denny. All right. Deb, Denny has two comments. Bridge MCP, is it four shot or four killed? There were shootings in Florida and that. Oh, wait. I didn't hear about the shooting in Florida. Please enlighten us, Deb Denny, about the shooting in Florida. There was a shooting, of course, in uh, Cleveland, about 20-something miles up the road from where I'm at, Cleveland, Texas, that is, where uh, five people were murdered. Mass shooting, AR-15 again. Eric Hayes says, why do you point out things, same things, same issues? Um, uh, let's see. Um, Lee Grant late to the party and will need 100. I don't know. All right. But he says, I don't see anything about Florida on the news feed. I haven't seen anything about Florida myself either. Anyhow, I want to play you Warnock's speech because it is touching. It is touching. Um, let's see. Political fact. Michael Rudnan went ahead and jumped on the race wagon with uh, Lee Grant. 
63% of mass shooters. White men make up 63% of mass shooters, according to PolitiFact. If white men make up 63% of, um, of mass shooters, it will tell me, believe it or not, that um, contrary to popular, if those numbers are correct, contrary to popular belief, mass shooting is racially unbiased. Because I think you would agree that, uh, well, racially, notice I said racially unbiased. But, gen- but gender-based biased, right? Egberto, the dude's wife was hiding him in closet. <laughs> Wells should haul her away too. She got, she got taken to jail, by the way. So yeah, uh, Michael, if that is 63%, of, if, if we're just going on a racial basis, about 63% of the country is white. So that would tell me that, you know, racially speaking, mass shootings are equal opportunity offenders. Now, I think your folks are talking about the, the particular kind of heinous. Well, all mass shootings are heinous. I'm not going to go there. Anyhow, I want us to go ahead and listen to Brother Warnock here, Senator Warnock, because what he has to say is touching and it's important. It's a long speech, and I, I just processed it just before I got here, so I didn't get a chance to cut out a lot of the empty spaces in there. But I want you to listen to this. I may cut the empty spaces out later on, but please listen to this. Um, it, it, it is mind boggling. Go ahead and listen to this. And while this is still a developing situation, according to media reports, so far at least five people were shot. Five. On a random afternoon. And there's been one fatality. The others taken to the hospital. I want to take a moment and thank law enforcement officials for keeping us as safe as they can. I want to thank them for their work trying to apprehend this individual. I'm also thankful for local media who are keeping all of us informed, and I'm grateful for our first responders, the people in healthcare, the people on the front front lines. We count on them every day to care for those who are injured, to respond to people in peril. And that's what makes this particular shooting ironic and deeply upsetting because it underscores the fact that none of us is safe no matter where we are. This happened in a medical facility where people are trying to find healing. And so I want to underscore that because there there have been so many mass shootings, in fact, about one every day in this country this year, that tragically we act as if this... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is routine. We behave as if this is normal. 
It is not normal. It is not for us right for us to live in a nation where nobody is safe, no matter where they are. We're not safe in our schools. We're not safe in our workplaces. We're not safe at the grocery store. We're not safe at movie theaters. We're not safe at spas. We're not safe in our houses of worship. There is no sanctuary in the sanctuary. We're not safe at concerts. We're not safe at banks. We're not safe at parades. We're not safe in our own yards and in our own homes. And now today we can add medical facilities to that list. And still we have done so very little in this building to respond. And in the American political square at large. And I I think there's an unspoken assumption. I think that the unspoken assumption is that this can't happen to me. This won't happen to me. It won't happen to people that I love. But with a mass shooting every day, The truth is, the chances are great. I shudder to say it, but the the truth is, in a real sense, is only a matter of time that this kind of tragedy comes knocking on your door. And then in a deeper sense, I think it's important for us to recognize that it's already happening to you. You may not be the victim of a mass shooting. You may not know anyone who's the victim of a mass shooting yet. But in a real sense, it is already happening to all of us. Dr. King was right. We are tied in a single garment of destiny, caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. This is knocking on all of our doors. And I feel this this afternoon in a very real sense. I feel it in my bones because my own two children were on lockdown this afternoon. I have two small children and their schools were on lockdown responding to this tragedy. They are there, I'm here. hoping and praying that they are safe. But the truth is none of us is safe. As a pastor, I'm I'm praying for those who are affected by this tragedy, but I hasten to say that thoughts and prayers are not enough. And in fact, in fact, It is a contradiction to say that you are thinking and praying and then do nothing. It it is to make a mockery of prayer. It is to trivialize faith. We pray not only with our lips, we pray with our legs. We pray by taking action. 
And still there are those who want to convince us that this, that this is the cost of freedom. To them, we have to say no. This ongoing, slow-moving tragedy in our country, mass shootings as routine, is not the cost of freedom. It is the cost of blind obstinance, a refusal to change course even when the evidence suggests we must do something different. It is the cost of demagoguery, those who want to convince us that common sense gun reform is somehow a call to take everybody's guns. This is not the cost of freedom. Dare I say it, it is the cost of greed. Gun lobbyists willing to line their pockets even at the cost of our children. And so, we must act. I'm proud of the fact that we did, after 30 years, pass some gun safety legislation here last Congress. It was a significant piece of legislation, but obviously it's not enough. 87% or more of Americans believe that we ought to have universal background checks and still we can't get it. Think about that. In a country where everybody says we're divided and there are deep divisions to be sure, there's disagreement on this issue to be sure, but in a country where there is 87% agreement on something, there's no movement on it in Congress. Which means that that's a problem with our democracy. The people's voices have been squeezed out of their democracy and there is a growing chasm between what the people actually want and what they can get from their government. And we saw it in a stark and ugly way a few weeks ago when we had two brave young legislators stand up in Tennessee, three in fact, And the same legislature that refused to do anything on gun violence came down on them with all of their might and expelled them from the legislature. We have to stand up against these anti-democratic forces at work in our country. We have to give the people their voices back. And if we refuse to act while our children are dying and in a moment when no one is safe, then shame on us. Shame on us if, if we allow this to happen and, and we do absolutely nothing. St. Augustine the African bishop of the early church said that hope has two beautiful daughters. He said they are both beautiful. Anger and courage. Anger with the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. I'm pleading, I'm begging, 
all of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle to remember the covenant that we have with one another as an American people. Stand up in this defining moment and do everything we can to protect all of us and certainly all of our children. We owe it to the people who have sent us here. I know that there are those who will look at this moment and say, politically, do you really think we can get anything done here? They will ask if this is the time given the state of politics in our country right now. I respond with the words of Dr. King, who said that the time is always right to do what is right. And that time is right now. Madam President, I yield the floor. I mean, that was a touching speech, a necessary speech. I hope people are listening. Deb Denny, I had not seen the that what you were speaking about. The, the, but I went ahead and pulled up the bill. Yes, in Texas, one of our legislators or two of our legislators are sponsoring a bill, specifically House Bill 1147 here in Texas, that that force that makes the school district, starting from second and third graders, learn how to use tourniquets and a bleed kit to stop bleeding as if folks are in a war zone. Think about what that means, right? In our schools, having bleed kits, they already learn how to run from guns. They already learn how to lock down. Why are elementary school students having to learn all this stuff? Dev Denny, thank you for bringing that to the attention. I had not seen that before, but it is, I guess, I guess they don't play it up a whole lot because, again, if you play that up, it's going to be like, my God, why don't we really do something about guns, right? All right, British MCP says, weapon types used in mass shootings in the United States between 1982 and 2023 by number of weapons and incidents. Handguns are the most common weapons type used in mass shootings in the United States, with a total of 161 different handguns being used, 111 incidents between 82 and 23. These uh, figures are calculated from a total of 142 reported cases over this period, meaning handguns are involved in about 78% of mass shootings. But the difference here, when we talk about using weapons of war like AR-15s or AK-47s, is that the velocity that these bullets leave these things are. Is in, a, in other mass shootings with regular guns, you get popped, you may die, you may not. When you get, when you get creamed with an AR-15 or AK-47, it pulverizes the tissues that it gets into. So a lot of times if it hits you in the head, the neck, wherever, you are likely gone. Egberto, please read this in full from Michael Rudden says, During the 1990s, there was an assault weapons ban during which time long rifles weren't the tool of choice of mass killings. Since the assault weapons have been uh, lifted, largely due to Republican obstruction, the number of assault weapons inc incident is, is rapidly on the rise. USA Today, more mass shooters are using semi-automatic rifles, often but bought legally. According to the Violence Project, 78% of mass shooters use at least one handgun since 1966. The group keeps its own database and defines mass shootings as events in which four or more victims were killed, not including the shooter. Since the, uh, the movie theater mass massacre in July 2012 in Aurora, Colorado, at least one rifle was used in about 44% of mass shootings across the previous five decades. 
a rifle was used in almost 21% of mass shootings, said James Densley, co-founder and president of the Valence Project. Good information. Uh, thank you very much, Senor Rudnin. Um, there's something that Carl, not Carl, that um, Eric, no, no, that, that um, Lee Grant wrote. And I want to make sure and talk about this because I think I've got to give it to Lee Grant here. This is important. There, I mean, I, and I went and looked over. Let me, let me just say this. Let me go ahead and bring the research that I was doing as I was listening to Warnock here. And this is what Lee Grant says. Lee Grant says, or let me find Lee Grant. I want to find his message because Lee Grant has a point. And it's important that, um, that we, we point that out. You come to this show not to just placate what we think we already know, but we come to this show to learn. This is, this is a combination of Lee Grant and Michael Rudnan, who actually found the PolitiFact uh, refuting. Here's what happens. Lee Grant earlier uh, pointed to Yvette Avery Herod that the shooter this time was black. I kind of took exception to that as in what does it really matter? And after all, most of the, uh, these mass shooters tend to be white guys, but we don't, you know, we don't specifically harp on it, etc. So Lee Grant says, in the U.S., a black mass shooter is a rarity. It doesn't fit the conventional anti-white narrative as we will hear little of this in the MSM. That's why I mention it here. In other words, Lee is saying, whenever there is a white mass shooter, we learn everything about him and the media makes a big issue out of it. To some extent, that's true. I, wa I want to qualify the treatment of mass shooters, though, Lee Grant. Remember the guy who went and shot up the, the black church in South Carolina? When they arrested him, he lived. Not only did he live, they went and they bought him a Burger King. So I don't want us to get the wrong impression here, but I do want to get the statistics and the numbers correct. Now, when Lee Grant said that, Brother Rudnin went ahead and researched and found the PolitiFact. And the PolitiFact that he came out with came out and said, true, what the news, it is 63% of the mass shooters are white men. And when I heard that number, 63%, I said, well, whoa, if we have just by race, not gender here, but by race, if we go ahead and say most of these people committing these mass shootings, 63, but 63% are white, immediately I go to the percentage of that particular population. And before I even read what Michael Rudnin put out there, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh my God, you know, there's an interesting thing here. Why is it that of how these things are reported, right? And here's the last paragraph in the PolitiFact statement. It says, Newsweek claimed, again, that that mass shooters are mostly white, is literally accurate, which is true. But it's worth noting the imprecision of this data and the percentage of mass shootings by white men is lower than their share of the male population, according to Mother Jones. That's an important statement. And when coupled with what Lee Grant says, it's something that should bother us. Yes, it is true that mass shootings by white men get big notions because, generally speaking, except for, let's say, the, the mother or the one in North South Carolina where this white 
guy went in and shot a whole lot of black congr- in the congr- blacks in the congregation. Whenever we see a lot of these mass shootings, it's always seemed to tend that the most attention is gotten where you know the 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 people who are getting shot are white. And I think he opens a door, Lee Grant does, open an important door about the value of life. If 63% of these mass shootings are this white perpetrators, and we do also know that, you know, there's nothing about black on black crime, no different than white on white crime, all that kind of stuff. You kill the people that are around you. That's what happens, right? And if you're in an area that is mostly black folks around black folks, that's who get killed by who get killed. And the same with white folks by white folks. If you're in an integrated area, it's all random. But I think what's important here is the value of life. And the fact that what uh, Brother Grant said there isn't, doesn't tickle the mainstream media, it probably should. How many times we hear about these mass shootings in these different parts, let's say in the, in the major cities, that it doesn't get the attention other than a mass shooting has occurred? How many times in rural areas where we know the killing by guns on a percentage basis is higher than anywhere else? So we have a class and racial bias in the way we cover these issues. And I think if we covered these issues more fairly, more accurately, we would have more people wanting the solutions in as much as we have 80 plus percent of people wanting this. I hope you get what I'm saying here, because I think between what Grant and, and uh, Rudnan had to offer here, it is important that we take a look at that concept. I think it is very important that we take a look at that. Thank you both of you guys. All right, Egberto, 30-second video. Last year, shooting near kids' baseball game. Kids running in fear. This is a microcosm of what our nation is like now. People living in fear of the next shooting going into active shooter mode. I saw that video. I can't put it on right now, but I did see that video. Uh, let's see. If I missed anything from anybody, just kind of give me a note and I'll put it out there. Um, let's see what we got here. Carcox's thoughts and prayers have never stopped killings. No, mass killings or otherwise. Sensible gun laws, background checks, and battle a ban on battlefield weapons, funding for mental illness, treatment is needed. Absolutely true. All of that combined is needed. I'm with you, Brother Cox. Every case says safety. New York asked residents to put Apple AirTags in their cars as vehicles step source. Ah, how about enforcing laws and holding criminals accountable? I think everybody wants to do that. Uh, but I, I just don't think you have the solution, uh, Brother Hayes, because you're thinking about lock him up and throw the keys away with uh, when you at the same time want to reduce budgets, etc. They're mutually exclusive. They are mutually exclusive. Bruce Pollard says Susan Pollard will speak on gun safety at the Kingwood Democrats meeting tonight. Oh, great. Uh, are you going to the meeting tonight, uh, Bruce? Are you going to tape it? I can't make it to the meeting tonight, but I'd love for you to tape her speech. And we'll play it here because I know that's a very important concept, Bruce. Think about it. If you go, let me know. Um, E2247, I know they're going to be live streaming it because Ellie said she's going to live stream it, but I'd like to get a, a fixed copy so I can clean it up and put it out there. So uh, I, I, I hope you can do that. 
I, Eric Hayes says, Egberto, the handguns can be modified. Egberto, do you know the power of the 45 and the 9 mil? Yeah, it's powerful. You're right. Uh, you're right, Eric. You're right. You're right. But it's still one trigger, right? I don't think it's a, a machine gun like some of the long rifles. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know a lot about guns. I'll, I got to confess that I don't know a lot about guns. All right. Mike Runner said, Deb Denny, I heard about that bill on Bo of the Fifth Columns channel earlier today. It was insane. And I've not been uh, Bo that angry, seen Bo that angry before. Wow. I've never seen him angry. Uh, Neil Maxim says, questions for gun nuts. If a good guy with a gun happens to commit a crime and becomes a bad guy with a gun, why would creating more good guys with guns be? <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. All right. YouTube watch. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, um, there was a fever over the land, a fever of disgrace, of indignity, of hunger. We had a democracy, yes, but it was torn by elements within. And by the way, folks, don't forget that this weekend is Ask Egberto Anything, politicsandright.com slash askegberto, politicsandright.com slash askegberto. Egberto is spelled E-G-B-E-R-T-O, A-S-K-E-G-B-E-R-T-O. All right, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Bridge MCP, Mike C6 said, Bridge, sorry, but accessing to national statistics, the larger majority of mass shooters are black young men. Oh, boy. Um, don't change the subject to, to something that that's true. Uh, Percentage-wise, mass shooters, I, 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 go do the research yourself, but make sure you get it right, Mike C6. You're simply wrong. All right, Eric Hayes, uh, let's see what else we got. Mm, no, Mike Cisak just went through the sets. You're right, Bridge. Mike Cisak is really Mike Cisak has this thing about black people. Um, really, Mike Cisak is generally tries to put everything that everything that is wrong in this country is created has been created by black people in Mike Cisak's vision, um, and you can look at it by the statements that he makes, right? And like I told Mike Cisak, I mean. Uh, the mere fact that blacks are in this country now was done on a savagery that occurred to them. And at the same time, he would like to project that onto black folks. You don't see black folks trying to project ultimate savagery on others. But I can say specifically that if you were trying to itemize, if you were trying to, to Put, put a degree of evil or a degree of the negative things that have been done to different sets of people. If we judged you by what a lot of your folks have done, sir, it, history wouldn't be too kind to you. But luckily, that's not what we do because we treat people as individuals and we don't hold their ancestry against them. All right? But do realize the reality of the maximal savagery that has occurred in this country was not the people that you like to savage in the words that you use, sir. All right, let's continue with this. Um, uh, Daniel Ledeau says, the 556-45 round used in the AR-15 was originally designed to cause mass internal organ damage, but not death. The size and velocity of the bullet is designed to tumble after impact, creating a large wound cavity. Thus, it's preferable to the 762-51 uh, mount of the M1A for most combat roles, as although the latter is more powerful, it will instantly kill. The, re the reasoning involves lighter carry weight and the expectation that a wooden soldier will require enemy resources to try to save lives, often put in 
Mm, that's interesting information. Of course, if it does maximal damage to your organs, eventually you die, I would imagine, right? All right, Microdonis says, Neil deGrasse Tyson, evidence collected over many years obtained from locations indicate the power of per is insufficient to stop bullets from killing school children. It's not funny, but my God, the way you put it, sir, the way you put it. All right. Uh, KJP says numbers are down 90% down such, oh, no, I don't know what that is. Long rifles being sold aren't machine guns. What time do we have? Yes, I, I still have some time for my other videos. Okay. Uh, Paul Fleming says, Mike is the reason why we say defund police. We need to use some of the money to help him. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, Mike Cisek, I don't know. Mike Cisek really has a problem. Um, and it, it's, it's I, I, I don't, uh, you know, Mike, I would, why don't you call in, Mike? Maybe we can use you as a call in. Why don't you call in? 281-823-7747. Let, uh, let us hear your voice. Let us hear what you have to say. Call in. Uh, it is 281-823-7747. I'd love to speak to you. Daniel Ledo says, yeah, right. Black folks ain't screaming while white supremacy every day. That, that's because white supremacy is a real thing, Daniel Ledo. White supremacy isn't a statement against you as a white man, um, Bruce, at all. I mean, uh, um, uh, Daniel. Because you are not supreme in in the in 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 the in the power structure here, you you are you have you are not supreme in the power structure here. White supremacy has nothing to do with your white skin. Okay, it has more to do with a systemic thing that used your white skin as a method of attaining supremacy, not over just black folks, but over you too. You don't realize that you yourself, Ledo, CSAC, and all, all white folks as well are victims of white supremacy. You know, it, it, it's, oh, you want me to post the phone? It's uh, 281. I told you, I, I called it out, 823-7747. There is a phone, Mike CSAC. So, so what I'm saying is, please, you know, whenever people talk white supremacy, white people are not supposed to go, oh, no, they're attacking me. No, you're a victim of white supremacy, too. You know, you are a serious victim of white supremacy. We all are. The foundation of this country was designed in such a manner that it only allowed supreme success to the few. But it's hard to get that across too often. Hey, folks, if you're on YouTube, consider joining. Click that join button and become a part of our posse. We'd love to have you as a part of our posse. Uh, Eric Hayes tells me I'm going through gas time. But anyhow, let's do this. Let me go ahead and give you uh, Bernie Sanders Believes. Anybody on YouTube also give us a thumbs up. Give us a thumbs up. Show us that you like the program. Please show us that you like the program. You know we're fair and honest here. Does Western civilization equal white supremacy? No, it does not. Western civilization is just one of many civilizations. But do remember that Western civilization also copied many other civilizations. Gunpowder, the... the uh, Chinese, uh, different forms of, of, of putting manufacturing products, food, African, different technologies for navigation, uh, um, uh, uh, Middle East, uh, the, the, the number system, uh, uh, the Arabians. So, I mean, 
what I'm saying, you know, I, I love how people like to grab on Western society and somehow we define Western society as solely the domain of white supremacy. No, it's all of us that are put our head together and we've stolen each other's cultures to move ahead. But somebody always wants to dominate it. You should listen to a speech by given by the difference between how China and the United States implement imperialism. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Bridge MCP says white supremacy beliefs and ideas purporting natural superiority of the lighter skin or white human races over other racial groups. In contemporary usage, a white supremacist uh, has been used to describe some groups espousing ultranationalist racist or fa uh, uh, fascist doctrines. White supremacist groups often have relied on violence to achieve their goals. Tech 32 says it's, it's insane that it is either easier to get a gun than a driver's license. It is also insane that you can that you can actually vote with a with a gun license and you can't vote with an education license with with a card that you use to get into a university. And as much as your card to get into the university had to prove your residency, it's amazing. It's simply darn amazing. All right, let's go ahead and do this. Bernie Sanders gives a good reason why, even as a super progressive that he is, that he intends to support uh, Joe Biden. And he has a message for Joe Biden. Yes, we are in a democracy crisis here, but what we will do is support Biden, he says, and then make sure Biden supports the working class. I want you to hear this out of Bernie Sanders, and then we'll take it on the other side. Senator President Biden announced his campaign officially for re-election this week. He would be 86 years old by the end of his second term. You're one year older than President Biden. Is his age something that voters should consider in 2024? Well, I think when you look at a candidate, you consider a lot. I think age is one thing. I think experience is another thing. I think your record that you have established is another thing. Uh, but to my mind, Donna, when you put it all together, what you have to look at is what does the candidate stand for? Which side are they on? Are they on the side of the billionaire class? Or are they on the side of working people? Look, it is no great secret. I ran against Biden. No great secret that he and I have strong differences of opinion. But when we live in a nation where you have a major political party, the Republican Party, where many, not all, but many of their leadership doesn't even believe in democracy. They maintain the myth that Trump won the last election. They're trying to keep people from voting. They're trying to deny women the right to control their own bodies. So that's a whole issue out there. If you believe in democracy, you want to see more people vote, not fewer people vote. I think the choice is pretty clear. And that choice is Biden. And second of all, what I do believe is the Democrats and the president have got to be stronger on working class issues. They've got to make it clear that we believe in a government that represents all, not just the few. Take on the greed of the insurance companies, the drug companies, Wall Street, all the big money interests and start delivering for working class people. You do that. I think Biden is going to win in a landslide. We spent yeah, a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form. Yeah, he thinks Biden is going to win in a landslide if he does that, and I believe that as well. 
Because I think eventually people will tire of you know whom. Deb Denny, sorry I missed that one. Deb Denny says, those smaller bullets bounce off bones. I watched an army vet who says, you can be shot in your right shoulder and it'll come out your hip. It'll tear up everything in between. Yikes. I hate guns. I hate guns. I hate guns. Why do we do this to other people? But anyhow, uh, tech guy says it is insane that it is. E I, I read that one already. Mike C. Sex says, so why white liberals look down on minorities thinking they aren't capable of getting an ID to vote? That's not the idea behind the ID. The idea behind it is that many uh, black, older black folks or rural black folks Babies are born in the home. There is there are dubious birth certificates because of, of of past realities and the history of these areas. So it's harder for them to get an ID. It has nothing to do with with white liberals thinking that that minorities are stupid. That said, I do want to give you some kudos because, like I've said before, um, racism doesn't know ideology. Okay, racism doesn't know ideology. Um, and, and, and my brothers that are liberal and sisters that are liberal here, understand what I'm going to say. This is a very important concept here. You all that are here, this doesn't reference you, but I'm out there in the field at conferences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And here is my observation. My observation, I've gone to Tea Party conferences, I've gone to uh, moderate conferences like the Bridge Alliance Coffee Party, I've gone to the, the, the uh, liberal conferences like uh, the ones put on by uh, Replay or the ones put on by uh, uh, Netroots, I've gone to conservative conferences that's been put on by different organizations. And I'll tell you, no particular group of people, and specifically I'm talking white people here, are more or less less racist than the other. Progressives, liberals are just as racist as conservatives, etc. The difference is progressives want to do something about it, right? Even if they don't just do it for themselves, they want to do something about it because intellectually speaking, they know that it's wrong. Conservatives think there isn't a problem. When I go to these conservative spaces, they are so concerned that I that I think as a real progressive person that they are racist, that I get the best treatment. I went to a rinky-dinky bar to speak to a tea, crew, tea party group one time. And it, it's the absolute best treatment at any event that I've ever had. I know it was a show, but that's not the point. The point are humans are humans, right? And we all share our prejudices. I was prejudiced on certain things. Women, uh, gays, I extricated that out of my body. But you have to acknowledge the issues first. Like Mike Cisak, my, my brother Mike Cisak here, he has to acknowledge that he has some very severe prejudices. And notice I'm not calling him a racist because he doesn't have the power to be a racist, right? But he is prejudiced. And, but he has to internalize it and acknowledge that deep inside and then say, I want to do something about it. 
When I wanted to get over my sexism, I did something about it. When I wanted to get, get, get over my homophobia, I did something about it. And after doing something about it, I wasn't expecting a pat on the back. To put it bluntly, I wish somebody had kicked me and said, how could you have been so damn stupid before? And I would have accepted that. I would have dearly accepted that. So those, so, so Mike CSEC, believe it or not, you're half right, sir. You're half right. Okay, um, let's see what else we got here. Deb Denny says the cost of getting an ID in some states can mean the difference between, and I think you're going to the cost of getting a difference between eating for a half a week or not. True. Michael Rudnan says Egberto would have to argue progressives are less racist. Progressives' words and actions show an anti-racist tendency. No, no, Michael, understand what I'm saying here. And this doesn't apply to you. And this doesn't apply to my conservative friends who aren't racist either. Okay? I have a lot of conservative friends that are not racist at all. I just think they think funny. I don't think they, 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 they plan things out or think things through. But they're not racist. Okay? You are not racist. My point that I'm saying here is, and this is what I find with, with white progressives, though. They try to promote their non-racist feelings onto everybody else. In other words, Egberto, like, let's, let's look at Brother Rudnan here. Brother Rudnan is a great guy, doesn't have a racist bone in his body. But somehow he feels that other progressives that share his beliefs, and notice I said share his beliefs, are just like him. But they're not. Not all are. He's a great guy. I was a great guy when I was still a sexist or a homophobe, but I had those deficiencies that needed to be cleaned up, right? Cleaned it up. It's, it's all about what you do when you find out that you have these prejudices and how do you solve it? That's what it's all about. Let's see. Egberto, what you just said about systemic racism requires some systemic oppression, requires me of uh, me of a dear white people meme. Let me get, let me bring it to you. Let's see here. All right. Michael Rudnan has another meme he wants me to put up. And whatever Michael Rudnan asks, he gets. Here you go. Racism describes a systemic advantage based on race. Black people can't be racist since we don't stand to benefit from such a system. I, look, I agree with that to some extent. I do have some issues when somebody says, well, black people can't be racist, and when defined in those terms, the statement is true. Unfortunately, unfortunately, when I say, or when the common person hears the word racist, they don't think intellectually of that statement, okay? They don't think intellectually of that statement which I understand clearly, they just think of a color. They don't think of a color with power. And that's the issue. And in my communication and in, in the work that I'm doing to help make a better America, I have to go where people are. I have to go where people are. All right. Peggy Lopez says, I'm glad for uh, being raised on a military base because long before the country as, as a whole, I attended integrated schools, played with everyone in the military. My housing was integrated by rank. Yes, it was a class thing at then. 
I get you, girl. Mike Cisak says, conservatives think that blacks are as capable as, as they are in doing anything they set their minds to, but it's leftists who don't think blacks are, so they need help by the government. Actually, no, that's not a race. That, your statement, sir, your statement makes horrendously bad assumptions, and it's something that racists use to convince otherwise good people to hate on left-wingers who are trying to solve problems. All right, tech guy 32, get a driver's license and a photo ID without documentation. Oh yeah, I've had the trouble of the DMV before. It's one of the reasons why so many people don't have photo IDs. Uh, let's see, Carcox says, Mike Sisek is wrong. It, he is wrong on that again. Egberto, please, for the screen. Okay, okay, it's going to the screen. It's going to the screen. You know, she's shouting at me. Better to put this on the screen. There it is on the screen. It says, these are Labrador retrievers. They come in a variety of colors. They are loved and treated equally no matter their color. They don't fight each other over their color differences. When it comes down to it, they are all labs. They are all dogs. Dear humans, do better, be better, be more like labs. I agree. I have one more video to play. And that video is about Brandon Boyle and saying we won't negotiate for the debt ceiling. There should be no negotiation with the debt. So I want you to listen to Brandon. Brandon, Representative Brandon, he uh, is pretty good at what he says. Here we go. Some Democrats are quietly joining Republicans, congressmen, in pressing for the president to start negotiating, do something. Is it not time for the White House to begin compromising? Could this meeting next week be the beginning of that process? Well, it's great to be back with you. And, you know, while there may not be uh, that many legislative uh, session days currently scheduled between now and May 31st, frankly, raising uh, the debt ceiling is one of those things, unlike, say, passing a big budget bill. It's one of those pieces of legislation that's quite simple, literally only takes a paragraph. You could pass it in a day if there are the votes there. So there still actually is plenty of time between now uh, and June 1st. And in terms of negotiation, we Democrats have been very clear. When it comes to paying America's bills, there can be no negotiation on that. We have to pay our bills, meaning we have to raise the debt ceiling. We've done it 103 times since 1940. The majority of those happened under uh, Republican presidents, by the way. Now, in terms of future spending, uh, we're happy to negotiate about that. Frankly, we always have to negotiate about that because government funding, regardless of the debt ceiling, will run out by midnight, September 30th. So this sort of fairy tale that Kevin McCarthy is weaving that Democrats don't want to negotiate uh, is is just that, a fairy tale. The Speaker McCarthy's House bill passing, even though very small, you know, they squeaked through 217 to 215. But the fact that he did pull his caucus together to get it passed, does that increase his leverage in the talks next week? I, you know, I um, really question that, uh, frankly. I mean, one of the challenges we've had throughout this process and the debt ceiling is just how many side promises and side deals Kevin McCarthy needed to make uh, just to get, after 15 rounds of votes, his own side to elect him speaker. That has been a real impediment uh, throughout this. Uh, there are so many extreme MAGA members of his caucus that had been driving the train on this, it has only made things more challenging. I don't think that has suddenly gone away just because Kevin McCarthy was finally able to win one substantive vote last week for the first time in four months of speakership. 
Absolutely so. Absolutely so. So again, folks, no negotiations on the debt ceiling. I did a piece earlier today. Look at my newsletter, politicsandright.com slash newsletter, uh, where I covered uh, Robert Reich. He believes that we should simply use the 14th Amendment to solve the issues. Anyway, folks, please go ahead and support the program at politicsunright.com slash support. Politicsunright.com slash support. Uh, my name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Unright. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.